What's up, podcast listeners? Welcome back to another episode of City of Champions, proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I've been with the Alberta Podcast Network for a little over a year, and it's been a great relationship simply because of how supportive they are to local Alberta podcasters like myself. The network continues to grow, and if you're ever looking for new content, be sure to check out their website, albertapodcastnetwork.com, for a wide-ranging selection of Alberta-produced shows. You can learn about Edmonton City Politics on Speaking Municipally, hosted by Troy Pavlik and Mac Mail, or you can listen to a Christian and atheist friend talk about their worldviews on assumptions. Uh, or you can feed that conspiratorial appetite of yours by listening to It's a Conspiracy with Andrew, Charlie, and Greg. I'll put links to these podcasts in the show notes, and whatever your appetite, there's a flavor for you at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Now, my guest today on the podcast is Raj Dillon, and he's co-owner of Pivotal Physiotherapy in Edmonton. Raj is a U of A grad, and he's been practicing uh, a practicing clinician for over 15 years. I was excited to sit down and record with Raj because he's got an incredible outlook on life and a very intentional approach to his work, his fitness, and his family. He's an inspiring guy who gives back to the community through his mentoring of the next generation of physiotherapists at the U of A and internationally through work abroad in third world countries. As a child of immigrants to Canada, I couldn't resist asking Raj his thoughts on the firing of Don Cherry and his response totally blew me away. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Raj Dillon. for a three-hour talk. You're here for three hours, right? <laughs> I've got about 50 minutes. 50 minutes. Yeah, All right, perfect. Okay? We'll be directed. Yeah, okay. Raj, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Very well. Thanks awesome. for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, I like to start, at, this is a new kind of concept of mine, but I want to mm-hmm. start like if you meet someone at a cocktail party right. like, and they say, oh, what do you do? Right. What's your like, what's your brief sort of like 30 second to a minute explanation of what you do? So I'm going to throw your podcast off here because... Because I actually don't have a 30 or 60 second answer and I actually try to avoid it, right? Because yeah. the, the cocktail party process, mm-hmm. I find is kind of like puts people in boxes. Right. So I'm going to give you like the box answer, but... Give me whatever which, answer you feel but, is but, best. So Let's so do here's, it. Here's the box answer. I'm a, a physiotherapist mm-hmm. by trade. I've been practicing for 16 years. I'm a father. I'm a basketball enthusiast, period. There's kind of like the box answer. Mm-hmm. But really, I try to avoid them and, and like, I have fun at cocktail parties. Mm-hmm. And if people ask me, what do you do? I say stuff like, oh, I, I'm involved in some charities mm-hmm. and I'm involved in some mission work. And, yeah. and I give them like the sidebar answer, right. which is still true, mm-hmm. but it creates interesting conversation because then they might say, well, which charity or what mission work do you do or, mm-hmm. or why, where do you teach and, and things like that. It's like the, the passion projects that aren't necessarily your go-to, right. that you wouldn't be Googleable, so yeah. to speak, right? <laughs> it's like the fun stuff. Yeah. So, so not that physio isn't fun, but it's also like the other pieces of what you do because it creates, I think... I like having diverse and interesting conversations. Absolutely. Rather than always what's in the box. Yeah. yeah. Well, you kind of flipped it on its head because sometimes you you ask a single question just a little bit differently and you can get vastly different answers, right? True. Uh, but you flip that on your head on the head and, and, and give it a different answer to throw yeah. it off. Plus, like, how many people can be labeled or boxed in under physiotherapist? That mm-hmm. doesn't define you. So I, I appreciate that's, sure. how you, that's how you approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might say, uh, what inspires you? Right. Or where do you thrive? Yeah, it's something. It's something else. It's the essence of the person you're looking for, yeah. not their career, right? Like, so that, that's an interesting way to go. I've asked people before, like, what inspires them, and I get this look, like, <clears throat> what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> like, why are you asking me these questions? I'm not ready for the shame. Yeah, it's tough. Like, I don't know about you, but when I go to when I go to those events where you literally have like. 30 seconds to a minute to talk to someone like, Oh, Hey, how you been? I hate those. I can't stand those because, because I do podcasts and because I actually genuinely enjoy learning about people's lives. It feels so superficial and I'm, I'm, I'm bad at faking it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm bad at like, just like, you know, catching up on the bullet points. I want to know more. You want the depth. Yeah, exactly. You want to penetrate to like layer four or five Yeah. instead of, um, how was your day? Did you sleep well? Mm -hmm. Look at the weather. Yeah. Yeah, You want to get deeper. Oh, that stuff just bores me to death. Sure. Sure. <laughs> what's what's the most what's the most interesting question you've ever been asked about yourself that that gave you an answer that you had an answer for that surprised you? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. Um, one one question I've been asked 
um, in a in a bit of a panel situation. This one's almost kind of funny, but I was asked if you could be a fruit or a vegetable, which one would you be and why? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody's been asked that before. Mm-hmm. And my answer was cucumber. Okay, because they are refreshing. They are healthy for almost everybody, and they are cool, calm, and collected. Mm-hmm. So that was my my retort. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> you know it's cool, refreshing, yeah. and healthy. Yeah, and, and I think if I had to pick a vegetable or a fruit, mm-hmm. that might be the one. And you know what's great about cucumbers? If you don't like it, you can change it into a pickle. <laughs> Things aren't working out. No, no, you no, can no, always no, pull no. the shoot and go sure. go the pickle route. You can, you can be a chameleon, so to speak. Yeah. So. Physiotherapy, what, what drew you to that in the first place? <clears throat> Physio is a profession that blends a few different things. Mm-hmm. It blends human motion, at least in orthopedics. I'm, I'm going to answer the question with orthopedic physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. It blends human motion, science, physiology, exercise prescription. Also, there's a, a layer of the essence of the person, their motivations, their goals, their stressors, their friction points what has troubled them before, what they want to get to. Mm-hmm. So there's like a motivational layer to that, a psychology layer to that. Mm-hmm. So there's a human movement, science, psychology, which if you blend it together, creates an interesting, diverse opportunity day to day. There's also a layer of, in addition to just treating patients, there's a layer of um, impacting the way physiotherapy is going. We have new science now that we didn't have 15 years ago, we didn't have 20 years ago. We have new concepts of what we know works well in the human body and what doesn't work well, which has changed. Mm -hmm. So now our habits and behaviors are different than they were 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity to kind of lead that that charge, so to speak, and push the boundaries of where physiotherapy is going, getting away from modality and kind of passive care-driven practice, Mm -hmm. more towards tissue adaptation, exercise prescription, manual therapy, needling, and the tools that we use now Mm -hmm. are different than the tools that were prescribed and advised 25 years ago. Yeah, that's something I'm curious about is how, like that's a field to me that seems has evolved quite a bit, like at least since I've even been paying attention, like I was 15 when I started hitting the gym and like, you know, paying attention to human motion and the way the body works, reading all the articles on my own time and discovering like how you can make yourself more physically fit. Mm -hmm. What have you noticed in your time that have been sort of the biggest changes um, that either you saw coming or didn't see coming? There's a few. Uh, the the easy, right off the top of my head answer is historically 20 to 25 years ago, if you went to a physiotherapy practice for anything, low back strain, ankle sprain, shoulder tendinopathy, you would expect mm-hmm. to get hot packs, electrical currents, yeah. ultrasound, yeah. and it would be a lot of stuff done to you. Mm-hmm. You would be the passive recipient of a lot of stuff. Mm. That's no longer the case. If you look at evidence-based practice and habits of successful clinicians now based on science and research there might be still some stuff done to you Mm -hmm. that's still valuable however there's now a push towards understanding what types of tissue stresses are actually going to help your tissue recover Mm -hmm. six weeks from now 12 weeks from now and not have it happen again next year so there are exercises there are mobility drills there are appropriate warm-ups appropriate cool downs appropriate stretches so the you know the prescription of tools now is not us doing stuff to you necessarily, mm-hmm. although there's still some of that. Now it's more, what can we teach you to do to yourself mm-hmm. in front of us with education and guidance and then actually implement yourself right. at the gym, at home, in your workplace and, and start understanding your own body a little bit more. Mm-hmm. A good analogy is if a patient comes to see me and at the end of their session, if somebody else were to ask them, hey, what's your diagnosis right. and what do you think is actually happening? Mm-hmm. They should be able to answer that to a certain degree. My diagnosis is X. I need to do the following in order to make it better. Mm-hmm. And if they know that, they've already gained some knowledge mm-hmm. and they will be better equipped to deal with their problem. Yeah. The, the first thing that came to mind as you're explaining that was that it seems like the, the, the clinician and the patient relationship would be a lot stronger sure. as a result of that change, yes. right? Instead of just someone laying there and having casual conversation, right. you're really like teaching them, which yes. I'm sure also reinforces your own knowledge, right? It does. Like you probably learn something with every, with every new client or patient. It does. So what, what you're describing is in the university language, mm-hmm. they call that the therapeutic alliance. Okay. And basically it's like what you said, it's clinician and, and patient in this case, collaborating, building trust, going towards a goal together. 
mm -hmm. rather than what used to be the model of clinician directing everything. Mm -hmm. Now, let's be real. The clinician will still be the counsel. They will still be the director to a certain degree because mm -hmm. they have the knowledge and technical background. So part of that's still true. But more and more, we're seeing the patient has a voice. They're advocating for themselves. They're expressing their goals. Mm -hmm. And we need to team up to get them to their goal mm -hmm. rather than just do stuff to them. Right. right? So that, that's one layer of change that we've seen. Another layer of change, which is a bit of a sidebar, is how knowledge transfer takes place. Mm -hmm. We've discussed knowledge and how therapists are sharing knowledge with their patients. Well, patients are also Googling things, looking at social media. Instagram can be the bane of our existence or yeah. it can be a big victory. When used well, Instagram is wonderful. It can share accurate knowledge based on evidence with videos, with pictures, and people can be taught mm -hmm. to do certain things to their shoulder and their T-spine effectively. Mm -hmm. However, let's be real. The sexy stuff kind of gets higher rankings. Mm -hmm. the, and that doesn't mean it's evidence-based. Now, it might be but it might also not be. right. So just because something has a lot of popularity, it does not mean it's actually effective. right. So one has to look at Instagram and those videos with a critical eye. So you're saying someone might have, have a condition or a pain or, or an ailment that they go on and see like, oh, this is really common, this is what I have because that's got upvoted and that's got more exposure. Yeah. But in reality, it might be something much more subtle or something completely different, right? Yeah, self-diagnosis has, a, has a, a layer of risk attached to it. It's gotta make medical professionals just like exasperated sometimes, right? Like doctors hate it. Like doctors, yeah. and I can't speak for all doctors, but I would predict that doctors do not like it when patients come in and say, I Googled my AX and I think it's the following. Now, now if they say, you know, I have these symptoms, uh, please help me understand them. Could it be these things? Right. I did Google it, yeah. but I want your check and balance on it. Yes. That's a different conversation. Of course. So I've preempted that because the reality is whether I like it or not, some people will Google it, mm -hmm. some people will Instagram it. So some of them will come in having done that. So I just acknowledge it up front. I say, you've probably Googled this. Mm -hmm. Have you or not? Mm -hmm. You probably saw the following. So let's explore if that's accurate or not. Right. And if it is, I can say your Google was correct. Mm -hmm. Let's proceed this way. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, I can say, you know, it might present as what looks like a hip flexor strain, but it's actually a hernia. Mm -hmm. And this is why they look similar, but the exam shows differently and we need to proceed differently right. in that scenario. So it's a check and balance with a higher level of knowledge and then guide accordingly. And you've really brought in like a premeditated, like intentional strategy to this too, right? Like you're, you're anticipating what's what the what the the pressure points or what the uh, the sticking points might be in your interactions with all with all your, your yeah. patients. Yeah, I mean patients you know, the primary reason people come to physio is for pain relief. Mm -hmm. I have pain here, I would like it to be gone. So mm -hmm. when we ask about goals, that's gonna be number one. If you look across like multiple, multiple numbers, mm -hmm. that will be number one. But a close number two is often I wanna move better I want to move more effectively. I want to achieve a certain task. Mm -hmm. So there's a functional goal attached to it as well. Mm -hmm. So pain is like the major motivator because right. it pisses them off and it hurts. Yeah. But secondly, they, they might have, you know, I want to achieve uh, a certain distance in my race or a certain time. I want to be able to lift a certain weight or be able to lift my grandkid over my head. Mm -hmm. or I want to be able to shovel the snow without pain. They will have something attached to their pain experience. Mm -hmm. will have a life reality attached to yeah. it. Now, how do you foster buy-in from patients? Because, I mean, ultimately, we know as human beings, like, we're so bad at adhering future risk uh, warnings, sure, right? Sure. Like, you know, put put a picture of someone's disgusting dead lungs on a cigarette right, pack. Right. They're still going to smoke because that's future means problem, mm -hmm. right? Like, so how, how do you, what are your strategies or tactics for, for getting that buy-in? Because ultimately, you only spend an hour, you know, at most with a client. Mm -hmm they've got the rest of their, their week or their month that they have to be implementing the things that you share with them. Otherwise, nothing's yeah. going to work. It's a combination of things. Number one is education mm -hmm. and understanding who that person is in front of me, getting a sense of what their knowledge base is, what their motivations are, what they've heard before. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe there's some myths that we have to debunk, perhaps. So we debunk those and then educate them. Mm -hmm. And also, while I'm educating them, of course, I'm trying to steer them in the right direction. At the same time, I'm acknowledging that it's ultimately their decision. Mm. So I don't overstep. Right. There's a layer of education and counsel and motivation and direction. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it is up to you. Please 
choose this, yeah. but I do honor if you choose differently because you might have reasons. Maybe you aren't ready. Maybe you don't believe me. Maybe you have heard different elsewhere. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Maybe you just aren't ready for it yet. That's mm -hmm. usually the reality. Yeah. Is, is they're not quite ready there. So if, if we can have conversation and trust about that, then on the second visit, we can revisit it. Yeah. And I ask for permission. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be upset if I bring up stop smoking again? <laughs> if you're going to be pissed off about it, then yeah. I'll stop. I've given you the knowledge. All good. Mm -hmm. I won't touch it again. Right. But if you're like opening the door a little bit, mm -hmm. you kind of know when you need it, mm -hmm. then I'll revisit it with you. How's that? Yeah. And you ask for permission. And they'll say, okay, we can talk about it again next week, but I still might not be ready yeah. or, or whatever that is. Now, when it comes to exercise and stretching and movement mechanics and warm-ups, education, again, is a key, but linking the education to their goal. Right. So if it is the race or the lift mm -hmm. or the basketball performance or the lifting the grandkid over the head, I have to be accountable to be able to give them a prescription mm -hmm. that's going to achieve their goal. Yeah. So I have to know that that's actually going to happen. Right. And you've got to and demonstrate then, to them that path, right? You have to correct. paint the picture of where they're at now and their goal and that bridge between the two. Right. And then show them results. Mm -hmm. So once they see there's a process and they're, they're actually starting to see some change going in that direction, mm -hmm. it becomes much easier because mm -hmm. now they're more motivated. Yeah. So now it's not me trying to convince them. Now it's just encouraging their already existing motivation. Right. Yeah. Now let's talk about the jump you made from from a clinician and a, and a practitioner to being a business owner. Sure. Because that's not a step a ton of people take, right? And that's probably a big jump from moving from like the the one lane focus of what you studied to do mm -hmm. to okay now I've got to take on all this other added stress of, of being the business owner and running the business. So right. kind of what what was the what was the first point that you decided I want to be a business owner in this field? Versus just a practitioner. Yeah, my, my business partner, Craig Wilson, and I, we both graduated from the University of Alberta together mm -hmm. in 2003. And we hadn't talked about it at that time. We both began working at a, at a practice immediately after graduation mm -hmm. and started to kind of explore, you know, is this something we want to do? Mm -hmm. So the answer to your question in short is very quickly. Yeah. Uh, probably with, within the first year of clinical practice, we both had a sense that ownership and leading the way and uh, having kind of our teeth in that project mm -hmm. was something we wanted to do. And is that because you saw room for improvement in the model? Because Partly. you thought kind of, I, I could I could do this differently? Yeah, there's a bunch of reasons. Part of it is a desire to make change. Mm -hmm. Part of it is uh, being natural leaders. I think we all have an innate quality and identifying what your innate qualities are and going, having your behaviors match makes mm -hmm. good sense. Mm -hmm. We're both natural leaders and have the desire to, you know, control certain things and drive the path to a degree. Mm -hmm. so, so that was part of it. Part of it was um, independence and the ability to not work for somebody else mm -hmm. and have the entrepreneurial spirit, the creativity, you know, all of that kind of blended together mm -hmm. is, is the motivation. The clinical model of care I'd be lying to you if I said I knew what it was going to be mm -hmm. back in 03 or 06 because right. I didn't. The reality is that's an ongoing evolution. I'd be lying to you if I said today I know what it'll be in 2023 because mm -hmm. it, it'll change. Mm -hmm. All I can tell you is I would be observant of the changes in science and try to implement them. Right. And, and I can I can be accountable to that. Mm -hmm. But the process is kind of very special mm -hmm. and it's unfolding as we go. Yeah. I don't know if you even mentioned, but you're the owner of Pivotal Physio in yeah, Edmonton. That's right. Just to, to plug the business a little sure, bit. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Jim. Um, and, and so you've been owner since since what year? Since 06. Since 06. 06. Uh, we were shareholders. Mm -hmm. And then in 2008, we took over formally. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what have been sort of the business side things that you guys have um, had to undertake? This, the struggles or, or, you know, the advantages of it? Like what, what's been sort of your experience so far? Like, I think like many entrepreneurs, there's, there's a layer of mental change, stress, time commitment, learning that has mm -hmm. to go on. So in the early stages, there's a steep learning curve. Yeah. And that steep learning curve has bumps along the way. For us, some of those bumps were understanding how to create organization and structure and becoming very um, streamlined with mm -hmm. our processes. Part of it was developing an identity that we felt was ours, mm -hmm. not the previous owners. Right. That was a very cool process because previous to us being involved in ownership, we had two clinics. They were called Northtown Physio and Fort Saskatchewan Physio. And they had their own unique identities mm -hmm. related to the area of the city that they were in. Right. 
and related to the previous owner's model of what she wanted them to look like. When we took over, we wanted to find a name and a brand mm -hmm. that was cohesive and that represented what we thought our flavor was mm -hmm. and where we thought the, the profession needs to go. Right. So that's where we went then through a process of um, soul searching, research, hiring a marketing agency, coming up with some, some questions on what we do really well and where we can improve mm -hmm. and coming up with flavors and themes of, of going forward. Mm. That led us to the name Pivotal Physiotherapy, yeah. which Pivotal represents change, embodiment of critical importance. Mm -hmm. So we believe that those are truthful in, in our model of care. And then, like most entrepreneurs, you have to ask yourself, what comes next and where are we going? Right. right? So what comes next was we wanted to have growth in our business and growth with creating opportunities for other clinicians. Mm -hmm. and, and how to get there means you have to have a plan and, and come up with Part of it is on us. Part of it's on us to come up with structure, guidelines, timelines, deadlines, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Part of it's also then like re leveraging outsourced help. Right. People that do other things really well, such as marketing, right. such as hiring and firing and recruiting, training. Right. That self-awareness of what are my strengths and what am I better leaving someone else totally. to do, right? Totally, yeah. Have you noticed, um, uh, just as a casual gym goer and, and fitness enthusiast, I, I guess I'd call myself, um, I've noticed like in the last probably like seven to eight years, kind of a, and maybe it's just my demographic and the timeline getting older and more conscious about your health, but it seems like people are overall more interested in health and fitness. hundred percent, hundred percent. That's an overall societal trend. Okay. So, so I would build on that by mm -hmm. saying you're right, first of all, and it, it, it's larger than just going to the gym. Mm -hmm. It's about everything related to performance, healthy lifestyles, mm -hmm. dietary habits, watching game changers you know and the, the, Still haven't watched it yet, the, the concept of becoming more plant-based versus more meat-based mm -hmm. uh, observing which foods upset your stomach and digest your tract mm -hmm. which ones actually help you sleep better and feel better and more energetic mm -hmm. sleep patterns you know what time do you go to bed what do you what are your nighttime routines or morning routines mm -hmm. mental health being gracious being thankful being meditative being inspired, yeah. taking time for yourself versus the opposite, right. right? So all of these things, mental, physiological, psychological, physical, health, people are more aware of it now. There's more knowledge and science behind it. And mm -hmm. people seem to be more motivated to invest in that. Mm -hmm. They want to make their life better. Right. Higher quality, longer duration, more inspiration. Right. That seems to be the trend for sure. Well, as like the secularization of society continues to grow, mm -hmm. it seems like we're, we have to find meaning more so in, in, in things that we create for ourselves versus like some, you know, omnipotent God saying, this is the meaning of life or these are the values you should live by. Like we have to derive our own meanings from the things that we do. Mm -hmm. And I think in, you know, a society in North America that we don't struggle all that much it's, it's, you know, we sometimes we lack that adversity. So it's almost like the betterment of yourself creates like a self-imposed adversity that I think challenges us to be better. Um, and I think people are realizing that and realizing that without that, your life can become a little directionless and aimless. Yeah, creating, creating like having, and I think what you're getting at is having an influence on your own journey mm -hmm. is what people are looking for. So they, they are, there does seem to be a trend of what is my purpose? Why am I here? Yeah. Which is getting into a bigger philosophical conversation, but that's okay. Um, so that's, you know, some people will adhere to their God, mm -hmm. adhere to their religion, mm -hmm. and that will be one of their major purposes mm -hmm. or drivers. Some are not, they don't believe in God mm -hmm. and they will find a different purpose or a different pathway. Some are philanthropists that either are or are not religious. And that's their purpose, mm -hmm. right? So everybody will find their purpose or, or that purpose can change over time, but they'll still drive towards it. Um, relating that to their own physical and mental health, I think comes back to the concept of if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to be less successful helping whatever your purpose is. Right. If it's philanthropy, if it's raising children, if it's motivating patients to be more athletically inclined, if it's creating successful movies, whatever your purpose is, the more you take care of yourself, the better that's going to be achieved. That's it. It always seems like a fine line of like 
how much should you be selfish and how much should you be selfless? Right. right? Like, balance, yeah. Right. Like it's, you know, I guess that's where self-awareness comes in. Like you need to know what the bare minimum or the most effective minimum for yourself is before you can have enough of yourself to, sure. to give out to other people as well. Sure. Uh, exactly. I think that it goes back to the concept of energy tanks. Mm-hmm. I, I use the phrase energy tanks. Yeah. Um, energy tank could be, again, physical and mental. So if you haven't slept well, you're just going to be less of a human that day mm-hmm. and you might have a bad day. Or you might have kind of like a semi, you know, subpar yeah. effective day. And if you've slept well and you've exercised, you've taken care of yourself, you're kind of feeling pretty motivated, pretty thriving. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to be in a better mood. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to be more creative. You're probably going to be more productive with a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality. So, so finding that balance over time in a sustainable way is ideal. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have so many inputs and so many distractions in life. Yeah. It's really easy to, to get away from an intentional path of life and to focus on those things. So what does Raj do to make sure that his day, that he runs his day instead of right. letting his day run him? Well, I, the first thing is that the, I allow for some of it not to be run by me. Mm-hmm. So I just start with a level of I'm not going to be in control of it all. Mm-hmm. And I, that doesn't mean I don't want control of it all. But some of it I just acknowledge and I don't hold a disgruntled feeling towards it. Some of it's going to be out of my control. Um, I try to do the basics. And it's not rocket science here. Eat, sleep well, exercise regularly. Mm-hmm. Have a mental place of you know, as much clarity as possible. I also have three big focuses in my life. They're my career, my family, and my fitness and health. So if at the end of the day, I've invested in those two or three tanks a lot, mm-hmm. that's a good day for me. Right. I call that a victory. Mm-hmm. There are days that that doesn't happen or it's lopsided and I allow for that too, as long as it don't, don't become a pattern. Right. And, and there's, there's an ongoing reflection process of what is the right balance. The answer is never the same, mm-hmm. but, but those anchors seem to stick. Yeah, I mean, last time we were talking, you were telling me about sort of how your 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 three tanks have sort of shifted over time, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's it's you know, there's as you grow up, it seems like there's less time for socialization. You've got the things like right. your business, your family, and your fitness. Those are, those seem to be the three that people gravitate towards. But like, right. have you noticed that it's important to still make time for for the you know the the auxiliary tanks, if you will? Of course, of course. Um, the risk is becoming very driven, very OCD and very type A mm-hmm. that I may forget those things or somebody else in a similar situation might forget those things. And I don't want to do that and I don't do that, but <clears throat> I do um, have an awareness towards you know, the sacrifices that are required in order to fill those three tanks really well. Mm-hmm. And those sacrifices include huge numbers of friends. Mm-hmm. I don't carry a huge number of friendships. I carry a much smaller number of friendships with higher quality. And the other thing is, you know, you still want to be around people. So the reality is I, I tend to find friendships and naturally and organically have friendships develop with people that also have similar focuses and similar like interests. So a lot of my friends are like people that I do stuff with. Yeah. People that I tend to play sports with. Right. People that I ride cycle with or people that um, want to lift with me and, and things like that. And they're also busy people and also want to get those things into their into their day mm-hmm. so we have fun doing those things together yeah and that seems to be where we chat and bond and so on how's the basketball career coming you still michael jordan yeah not anymore <laughs> not anymore <laughs> when was the realization for you that you weren't going to be in the nba or has it happened yet no it's happened i think i'd be lying to myself if i said uh, for the for those listeners that don't know how much i love ball it's it's a very extreme amount and i, I play men's league in edmonton but, but no, I, I mean, mentally, we all tell ourselves that we're going to be the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. And I know for a long time that's not the case. So now I'm in a place where I enjoy the sport. I enjoy the process. I still love playing. And um, I don't think that will change. But, but I'm not Michael Jordan anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think a little bit of self-delusion can be a good thing, right? <laughs> like that ability to, to set that goal or that ambition that's probably outside of what you think is even attainable. Right. Because it... it pushes your boundaries aiming course. high is not a bad thing right yeah. exactly sure so i mean and it like, does help it does help to visualize right mm-hmm. sports psychology principles would indicate pick a spirit animal or pick you know, visualize something mm-hmm. that helps drive you or inspire you mm-hmm. so it's not to say that i don't visualize the stars when i'm doing drills mm-hmm. i still visualize it 
that doesn't mean I'm deluding myself. It just means I'm visualizing it because then your body will mimic similar behaviors and similar forms and similar strategies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it seems like you're, from what you've told me, you, you establish like a really strong connection with your with your patients. And I hope I'm using the right term, impatience. Yeah. Um, was there any, uh, any segment of your studies that kind of, develop that or is that just all been sort of like self-learned through through your own furthering education whether it be reading or podcasts yeah, the, or... all of the above yeah there, there is a certain amount of coursework that goes into discussing developing relationships how to build trust mm -hmm. how to help understand complicated situations how to reflect on yourself and what you're putting out there or not putting out there mm -hmm. to make sure that relationship goes well so part of it is taught through academia mm -hmm. a, a larger part of it is getting reps in having many, many patient experiences, having time with the public. I worked in the customer service industry prior to being a physio. I worked in a pharmacy, kind of like healthcare slash customer service mm -hmm. for a number of years prior to being a physio. So I, I had some opportunities to deal with the public mm -hmm. in, in a variety of different ways. I was a banquet waiter. Oh, really? Physio, right? Everyone so, should be a server at some point. <laughs> right? I very, think you learn a lot of very, skills. I'm very adamant about that. Right? So part of it's getting reps. Mm -hmm. and, and then part of it is a genuine, like I'm very curious mm -hmm. about human psychology and about human nature and what drives people, what motivates people mm -hmm. and how we can have influence positively in that arena. Mm -hmm. And that drives me then to read and to listen to podcasts and speak with people about these things. And yeah. It just snowballs over time. Who, who are your kind of, who are your top authors or top podcasters? Like what, what's the your COC regular? podcast is number one. COC, on the, the COC, COC, City of Champions, baby. On my list. <laughs> Who's been your favorite guest so far? Um, Otieno. Otieno. Otieno by far. He's, a he, he's charismatic. He's fun-loving. He's intelligent, mm -hmm. well-spoken. He's got a history of proven success. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of qualities there that yeah. that are, inspire me. Yeah. Yeah. So outside of the tired pumping, like who, yeah. are, who are the real who are the real ones you listen um, to? Uh, so I've I've read a lot of books written by Robin Sharma. Mm -hmm. He's the author of The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari and mm -hmm. many other books since then. One of them is called The Greatness Guide. Uh, which is, a, I think, a, a good read for people looking to improve themselves, looking for inspiration. Mm -hmm. That's a good read. Um, Tim Ferriss uh, has put together a book called The Tools of Titans, mm -hmm. which I'm sure a lot of the listeners have heard of him or heard of the book. It's a compilation of three categories, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And he puts um, content from different guests that he's had into each of those categories. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, I'm reading that right now, mm -hmm. about a third of the way through. Other influences... Uh, Michael Jordan was an influence mm -hmm. early in my life, and I read many of his books and watched, and he's like the idol. How many books the, does he have? I don't know the number. Um, it's got a few. Five a, to ten-ish. Oh, wow. In that ballpark. What are they broken up into, like segments of his career? Or are they? One of them is an autobiography. Mm -hmm. I read that one most recently, so that's just a story of his life. Mm -hmm. um, the other two were released, the other two that I have were released more kind of in the pinnacle of his career. Mm -hmm. So it was describing his championship journey and being cut from high school basketball team in grade 10 yeah. growing a bunch of inches through the summer training a lot coming back in grade 11 becoming a starter his journey towards success mm -hmm. and, and all the accolades and how he changed the kind of the face of the game right in that time yeah yeah he's a great example of like just raw will and determination right like in terms of yes. like just practicing and get, like you said getting your reps in right like so no such thing as an overnight success People like to label right. people right. that because it seems sensationalized or fantastic, but the reality is that those people probably have ten thousand plus hours honing that craft before they right. ever experience, you know, yeah. a, a huge level of success. Michael and Kobe are both known in the basketball arena as obsessive practice mm -hmm. athletes. Right, they loved practice and they would go in the wee hours of the night to practice, mm -hmm. sometimes alone, regularly. Mm -hmm. So just picture that over time. The, the there's obviously a psychological obsessive nature to that yeah one might say that's uh, crazy yeah or, or you know very unusual but they are outliers mm -hmm. in that arena and then one might say that they're they've mastered their craft through reps mm -hmm. so there is that's that's something very distinct about those two athletes mm -hmm. yeah. well it seems like anyone who's reached the <clears throat> pinnacle of success in whatever field they're in like has some level of unbalance in their life. True. Like I don't think you could point to many people who are are you know 
labeled the the best in their field right. that didn't have some type of obsessive like let other things of in their course. life fall to the side a little bit. Yeah. So it's you know which is, seems like in a sense the opposite of you because you're still trying to maintain that balance right, which is important because yeah, I think for for the, the, there's level of sacrifice required for all of those successful people. Mm-hmm. And they have talked about it publicly, and it's been well established. So I'm not saying one path is correct or incorrect. I think people have to define for themselves right. what their goals are, and then have a have a strategy that matches the goal. Mm-hmm. Some of which will be obsessive, some of which might be, I want to have balance in my life, so therefore my energy and time has to be spent balanced. Right. I think the key is just whatever's authentic to you, right? right. Like people yeah. are trying to force something that's not really in their own heart True. in terms of... Yeah. I like the word authentic. That, yeah. That's a word that resonates very well. <laughs> like I mean, getting real, being honest, authentic, yeah. all these things kind of mean the same thing. Yeah. But I, I value that in myself and I value it in, in people that I interact with. Mm-hmm. People seem to you know, bring, bring their experiences from, from their family out into the world and that leads to all sorts of interesting kind of dynamics going forward like what impact did your your family have on you i got up? beat when i lied yeah that, that's <laughs> the truth right so so let's go to the other extreme yeah so so lying and dishonesty was very frowned upon right in my household mm-hmm. and as a young boy indian background old school parents did your parents immigrate here or your grandparents my parents, parents did. So okay my, my, so your first generation correct yeah my, my mother and father uh, came to canada to toronto in 1977-78 mm-hmm. i was born early 78 um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're of that cut of that cloth, mm-hmm. old fashioned, strict rules. And let's acknowledge some other realities. They had stressors mm-hmm. at that time that were related to money mm-hmm. and they didn't have a lot of income and they didn't have a lot of like family support to get established in this country. Mm-hmm. So they had some financial challenges. Um, I do think they had some mental health challenges that either were diagnosed talked about or not diagnosed not talked about mm-hmm. but there was some level of stress plus anxiety plus right. you know um, trying to navigate my way get myself in a healthy place as an adult mm-hmm. and now have my child in a healthy place as an adult mm-hmm. so they probably wanted to limit like this dishonesty and this, <laughs> this you know this kid creating a problem yeah so so anytime and I used to lie a lot I used to for whatever reason I, I look back at that kid and I'm like you're a brat yeah like, that kid was a brat I was a brat so, so I lied and I would try to get away with things and I would try to, you know, get out of disciplinary inaction and it wasn't clean. So, so that was very frowned upon and disciplined very harshly. Mm-hmm. And, and over time I figured it out and I learned my lesson. So they succeeded in establishing more honesty and more truthfulness yeah. in their son. So that has paid dividends. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say, because like, it seems... It seems sometimes when you're really strict, like whether right. it's a religion or a household, like sometimes the kids like, can go the complete opposite yeah, exactly. way of that, right? True. And so it sounds like you did for a bit, but then that that behavior got nipped. nipped it wasn't. Really it wasn't that I went the other way. Yeah. It was that I was the other way, mm. and they tried to corral it. Oh, okay. So I, I wasn't running away from something. Yeah. I was just a brat. Yeah. Right. And then they try to corral the brat and say, let's treat, let's create a good human here. Let's nurture a healthy human being with some positive contribution to society. Mm-hmm. And that they try to do that. Yeah. And they succeeded. And then I came around. But, but I wasn't running away from something. You're, you're right, though. I've seen situations where people are heavily influenced to go one way and they end mm-hmm. up trying to rebel. Yeah. This wasn't a rebellion. This was just a brat. What right. do you remember the, the first time you were self-aware enough to think, like, I want to be this type of person? Yeah, um, roughly at least. I think that happened in the high school mm-hmm. um, age group, grade 10, grade 11. There was um, some reflection moments where I started to think about what is in my control, what is not in my control. I think that was kind of the first point, like what can I have influence over and what can I not, mm-hmm. and, and stop worrying about the things that are not in my, under my influence. Right. So post-adolescence is right. kind of what I'm getting at. And, and then I started to enjoy, okay, these are the things I have control over exercise, my thoughts, my reactions to things, mm-hmm. what I take in my body, you know, how I interact with others, what I tend to work hard at and what I don't kind of work hard at. Yeah. And I started to kind of watch myself mm-hmm. and then started having observations of where those results might come from mm-hmm. and where my energies led to success or where they didn't lead to success. I started to then become self-reflective as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was around that age group. I think that's a question that doesn't get asked enough of kids like who do you want to be it seems like 
we put the cart before the horse and everyone says, what do you want to do? Right. It's like, shouldn't you figure right. out who you want to be and then figure out what you want to do, right? That falls yeah. in line with that. That's a good question. I'm going to steal that. You should because I, 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 and honestly, it's not something I've been pondering for yeah. a long time. This has just kind of popped in my head now, but sure. like it was, it happened much later in life for me, like, like mm-hmm. late, like mid to late twenties. Okay. It's like, what kind of person do you want to be? Or like, yeah. you know, Gary Vee says like, how many people do you want to show up at your funeral? Yeah. And, um, what really stuck with me from a, a Tim Ferriss podcast was when he was talking to Terry Crews mm-hmm. and he said like, ask yourself like, what kind of person do you want to be? Yeah. Or ask yourself, sorry, what would person X do, yes. right? What would a kind person do? Yes. What would a thoughtful person do? What would a successful person do? What would a wise person do? So ask yourself that and then just do those things. Yeah. Like it's simple, but Start it's- Start habitualizing. Yeah, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple, right? right. Like the steps are all there to achieve whatever right. you want to do. But so many people tend to not- not actually articulate that goal. Absolutely. And then there. What I'm curious. What was there something that sparked it for you? Was there a trigger at in your early 20s that made that happen? It was really like I had left a job that was unfulfilling. It was a good job. Yeah. But um, I didn't see a future for myself in it, and I okay. didn't know what I wanted to do. And I kind of, I I was lost and directionless yeah. in a sense. So I went the complete opposite way and just like stopped going out on the weekend, stopped drinking, like started going to have conversations with people in different fields, trying right, to find out right, like what right. I wanted to do and like started because I wasn't working full time, started reading a book every week, um, started listening to podcasts, really like really started to learn for the first time mm-hmm. again since I had left university and then absorbing all this content and all these like, you know, thoughtful people and, 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 and you know, great ideas. Then it started making me question like, oh, okay, these people have all made something of themselves because of conscious, conscious decisions to do these things in their life. Right. So then I, then of course I'm like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Right. Like what, what kind of person do you want to be? Yeah. And, and of course, you know, like someone has a hard week at a job that they work nine to five and. And they're tired at the end of the week and what do they want to do? They want to relax or they want to go for drinks with the boys or the girls or or whatever. Like there's in a normal life cycle like that, there's not a lot of time for Mm self-reflection. And so, of course, like one of the things I consumed was about meditation. So I'm like, ah, maybe I'll try this meditation thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to measure direct impacts of that because it's a it's sort of a nebulous thing. But certainly helped me with trying to be a little bit more self um, self self-aware. And then thinking like, all right, is this decision or are these choices that I'm about to make in line with kind of what I'm trying to do, right? right. right? And then just hardcore prioritization. Like, mm-hmm. is this is this action or this activity going to get me closer or farther away from my goal? Like, I'm right. I'm a true believer in that there's like nothing neutral in life. Yeah. Everything is either positive or a negative to any, any nth degree, yeah. right? So, you know, it sucks to say like, Oh, friends are going out and they invite me for for a night out. Mm-hmm. Sucks to say, like, sorry, I'm not coming because you feel like you're letting them down. You feel yeah. like you're sacrificing fun. There's sure. that FOMO, which obviously is worth now with social media. <laughs> but when you really boil it down to like, is this a productive use of my time? Yeah. And the answer would be no in that sense. When sure. when the alternative would be staying home and reading a hundred pages of a book. You're describing purposeful decision making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's what changed for me now. You know, we were saying earlier, I think before we started recording, like adolescence seems to be getting stretched out longer and longer, right? right. We have, we're fortunate to live in the Western world. Like our parents are wealthier than their parents. And so we yep. get a lot of things paid for, for us for the most part. And, mm-hmm. and life isn't as stressful. Well, the stresses are different right. than previous generations, yep. right? Yep. But for the most part, people seem to mature later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think... I think you, you see a lot of people and, and also people feel pressured to get to university right off the hop, right? Yes. Like you go from high school to university, like not going to university wasn't even, wasn't even on the radar for me, right? right? Like, and it was, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I started in business and ended up in psychology and it was just like, <laughs> if I would have like taken a year to maybe like do something, yeah. I would have known more what I was looking sure, for. Sure, you and even reflected. Yeah. yeah. And even once I started doing psychology, it was well, I'm not going to be a psychologist, but you got to pick a major and, and, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to me. So yeah. you're almost just like leaving it to chance. Let's see where the chips fall. Right. 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 
I do I do want to thank you Shane for for planting that seed I'll call it like the thought of asking somebody what kind of person do you want to be mm -hmm. first mm -hmm. before the rest I'm going to steal that I'm going to use it with my kids absolutely you should I, I haven't I mean we've talked about values and mm -hmm. we've talked about um, behavior choices and what are good decisions and bad decisions and mm -hmm. good and bad and, and inclusiveness versus exclusive we've talked about kind of each of the pieces mm -hmm. but never with that overall kind of philosophy yeah that overall guidance so that's a guiding question i'm gonna hijack that and with that yeah. and with that in mind too like it it i think if you've got that kind of in your in your consciousness it safeguards against getting caught up in um role models that might not necessarily be the most positive right here's a silly example but i'll use it because it's the first one that comes to mind but like in university you know you go to class and you go out on the weekends and you binge watch netflix or, yeah. or torrents at the time yeah. because netflix didn't exist torrents, yeah. but i binge watched the sopranos okay. so and entourage right so the two top guys there are are um ari gold in entourage vinnie chase yeah vinnie chase but more so ari gold because he was that like assertive right. asshole who just got what he wanted and yeah. he lied right? right he tossed his blackberry yeah. from one hand to the other every yeah. time and then and tony soprano of course mm -hmm. was the alpha guy who just like right. runs show okay. so like at at that time i kind of had this like feeling of like you should be a hot shot you should you know you should you should be aggressive you should be decisive with what you want mm -hmm. and you should kind of focus on yourself first yep. And so I actually noticed a little bit of leakage into my life of like how I acted mm -hmm. and how I interacted with other people. Mm -hmm. And but if I had had asked myself before that, what kind of person do you want to be? And if I'm like, well, no, I want to be an empathetic and yeah, sure, aggressive, but also thoughtful and caring at the same time. Right. Then maybe you know maybe I wouldn't have looked at them as a bit of a role model in a sense. Sure. So you or know, you would have had a check and balance. Yes, you would exactly. have said I still want to take certain traits and behaviors mm -hmm. and goals from these people, yeah. but not exclusively yeah exactly and and you know you've got to you've got to be able to dissect sort of the the message and the messenger too yeah. right like yeah. someone might have a, a great message but they might be a bad messenger or vice versa right that's very true right <laughs> uh, i'm glad you i'm glad at least this conversation has given you one takeaway well i'm sure there'll be more <laughs> that's the first one <laughs> um and so what are your you know what are your this sounds almost against what we talked about. What are your ambitions for your kids? Um, no, it's not against what we talked about. I, I hope and I try with my wife, Deepa, to raise good humans, which is kind of like the easy answer. Yeah. But for us, what that means is people who have strong moral character, moral fiber. Mm -hmm. They have grit. One of the risks we know of like the millennial quote-unquote generation mm -hmm. and the knock on that generation is that they don't have grit. Right. So there, are generation. there are arguments on either side yeah. to suggest for or against mm -hmm. that comment. But the bottom line is, as a parent, my job is to ensure that they can face adversity with some confidence. They have some reps. Mm -hmm. They have some strategies to deal with it if they do, if and when they mm -hmm. face adversity. Uh, my wife is much better at the other side of it. Celebration, acknowledging the positive, uh, birthday parties, recognizing when they've succeeded at stuff not that i suck at it yeah but she's much better at it right uh, and so that she the two of us together i think have a good balance in delivering that to our mm -hmm. kids um in terms of like goals and um career path it's too early for that yeah they're 11 and younger yeah we do so we don't really talk about those things we do talk about you know goals that are relevant mm -hmm. so if you have a dance competition have you practiced mm -hmm. have you do you, are you enjoying it what kind of things does your coach teach you? Mm -hmm. There's there's conversations that are very current, and we try to keep it current. Mm -hmm. We don't think too far into the future. And of course, the undertone is if you give them those skills and practice that, hopefully at some point they can be released and they'll, yeah. they'll do it themselves <laughs> successfully, right? <laughs> so we hope for that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we try to give them the skills. Yeah. Give them the tools, give them the skills, give them encouragement and support, challenge them mm -hmm. appropriately. I do try to challenge them. A little bit every day mm -hmm. with something yeah because i think that's healthy and i think that for myself as well yeah having a certain level of challenge or discomfort or mm -hmm. something each day helps us grow and that's of like course, a real balance like, right not not over challenged every day that's and, overwhelming yeah and for them that's like a real measure like what was your challenge of the day correct yeah, yeah. i ask them that question um at dinner time or, or before they go to bed 
we have a checklist of things they have to do before they get screen time. Mm -hmm. And one of those items is your challenge of the day, mm -hmm. which could be something as simple as uh, a physical activity, mm -hmm. but it could it often also often is not. Mm -hmm. It also often is um, something happened in the schoolyard. I wanted to deal with it this way, mm -hmm. or my teacher said something to me. I took it hard. I wanted to deal with it this way, mm -hmm. and it, you know it could be very very diverse. Yeah. So it could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be academic. It can be. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. They have a free for all, but I just want them to start to acknowledge what is challenging mm -hmm. and seek out one or two a day, and. Not, they won't always succeed, and nor will I succeed in getting them to do it. Mm -hmm. But the habit is we try to get there. Right. Yeah. Do you did you did you find it hard? Like, cause your your oldest is eleven now. Mm -hmm. Right. Did you find it hard, like, to to develop that framework that was not because you like to control things and you like to you like to be very structured? Was it hard to develop that framework of of okay, here's here's how they should. This is more of their operating system. I'm going to like then yeah. make the choices within that operating system. Right. But, but I'm also going to take a step back and let them make their own mistakes. That wasn't hard. That wasn't hard. No, I, I'm a big believer in I can't control it all. Yeah. There will be things in their life, a lot of things in their life that I have zero influence over or have little influence over. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm very much at peace with that. My job isn't to try to control all those things. My mm -hmm. job is to teach them as much as I can. It won't be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, give them the tools as much as I can, which also won't be perfect. Yeah. And give them some self-sufficiency, which also won't be perfect. Mm -hmm. But give them as much as I can. Right. And, and do my best. And that's all they can ask for. That's all I can ask of myself. So I give them my best. And, and so in, in accountability for that, that means I have to take care of myself well mm -hmm. in order to deliver my best to them. Right. And then they get my best or, or close to it. And, and then... The rest will time will tell. Yeah, I can't pretend to control all that. Man, you're you're so calming and you're so <laughs> you're so you're so thoughtful. It's like you you know you could have a career in, in any anything really. Like you could be an Thank HR, you. you could be a counselor, you could be a psychologist. Like you, you feel like you could do it all, but you seem to have picked a path that that perfectly suits both your love for movement, but also your your love for connection too. And so I applaud yeah, you on that. You. I mean, Thank like you. so many people don't don't get to that point ever, right? That's it. the intersection of the three things, you know, what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and what's useful to other people. Mm -hmm. And then like you bullseye that. Sure, well, and See, thank you for saying that. And to, to go look for, further forward here, <laughs> that also continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the answer will be five years from now, mm -hmm. but, but I do find myself, when I ask myself where I thrive, mm -hmm. uh, and I ask others that question, but when I ask myself that question, one of the arenas is in educating others. Mm -hmm. And usually that means in my field, younger physios or yeah. physio students. So that seems to be an area of growth in the next little while. Uh, another area is in helping third world countries and having a small influence of my life go there as well. Mm -hmm. So that's also seems to be a bit of a pathway that's growing yeah. in my world. Yeah, you're, uh, I wanna talk about your Ecuador trip too. Sure. Earlier this year. Yeah. I mean, what, what time do you gotta get out of here at? It's 106 right now. 15 minutes. Okay, fit. that's perfect. Yeah. Um, you went uh, as part of a, I'm going to read this because yeah. otherwise I'll butcher it, <clears throat> Canadian Association of Medical Teams Abroad. Mm -hmm. And it was a brigade that went to Ecuador. Yeah, CAMPTA is the acronym we use. Yeah. So CAMPTA has, is an association that's been going for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, or, originally founded by the Moreau family. Um, so they've been going for a number of years. And over the years that medical brigade has grown in size, which includes surgeons, ward doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, lay people, IT people. Mm -hmm. There's also a local social worker in Quito, Ecuador, who helps coordinate patients and, and healthcare for the people on site. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the mission is to help individuals who can't afford mm -hmm. and who need orthopedic surgery, typically hip, knee, and foot. It's usually lower extremity. There's a high incidence in Ecuador of hip dysplasia, mm -hmm. which is a, a, dis, a malformation of the hip joint. So it just ends up grinding it all out, basically? Yeah, there's a, a wear and tear component in the mm -hmm. genetic malformation. There's also a high incidence of club foot, mm -hmm. which, is, which is another malformation genetically of how the foot and ankle are designed. Yeah. So they need to be surgically corrected. And is that a genetic thing that they have a higher... It is. Okay. Yeah. So if... In North America, 
in Canada, if that were caught, it's screened for mm-hmm. when babies are in their pediatrician's office in the first six months of their life. Right. If in Canada, one would catch that mm-hmm. very early and it would be addressed very early. Right. In Ecuador, we see cases where either it wasn't caught or people couldn't afford to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And we see cases that are further along, mm-hmm. they're further deteriorated. Right. And that impacts their quality of life, their ability to walk, their ability to play with other kids. Yeah. And in adults, we see it as an arthritic presentation. Mm-hmm. So we see adults and children. Right. Um, I, I, got, I went for my first time last year, it was the first year that I went on the mission. And I found it very fruitful. It, it's, there's many, many victories. It's soul food for most clinicians most people that go we had a chance to meet obviously families and people that are in need serve them without charging them Mm -hmm. Uh, the other added victory that i hadn't expected or thought of was the chance to meet health professionals from all over the country right yeah networking yes but but more so like hearing their story yeah like they're good humans they tend to be um charitable in nature to a degree mm-hmm. so what drives them what inspires them what are kind of their own life stories right it's it's meaningful it's yeah. like summer camp for adults you know while you're doing something purpose <laughs> yeah so i like it that fill, side fills it your tank up for sure yeah. i'm sure right yeah is is the prevalence there higher of it these is. or is it just that they're not caught so it becomes worse both, both. okay both interesting yeah. and what is there do you have an explanation as to why that is just why, why the prevalence is yeah higher? why why the genetics aren't as strong I don't okay. know. I, I, my somewhat ignorant answer mm-hmm. is that's just how genetics works. Right. There are higher incidences of, for example, cardiac stress mm-hmm. and cardiovascular conditions in the Indian population. Oh, okay. Now, why is that? Gotcha. I don't know. Yeah. It's just how it is. Yeah. Now, how do you bring back that sense of gratitude that I'm sure you, that you appreciate just going from a third world country like Ecuador to back here and like without... Yeah. hammering people like god you guys should all be happy and grateful right. like that you live in canada i well yeah i mean I think you hit the nail right on the head there i don't hammer them mm. i'm everybody has their own journey i can't pretend to understand other people's journey right of course we can talk about things and if there's an opportunity for conversation mm-hmm. we can bring things to light mm-hmm. and we can share and the sharing might lead to whatever mm-hmm. identifying Maybe there's a little motivation in you to go. Maybe there's not. Yeah. Maybe you've gone before and had a negative or positive experience. Mm-hmm. Something. It would lead to some direction. If the door is closed, the door is closed. Mm. And, and at some point, maybe it'll open. But that's yeah. okay. So I, I don't need it to do for other people. It's, right. I, I'm somewhat lucky because my parents came from a third world country. So my experience as a child was kind of third world. Right. You know, the stories that I heard right. and the reality of my parental influence was mm-hmm. third world. Mm-hmm. but in a first world nation. Yeah. So I'm I have the the benefit of kind of seeing both sides. Yeah, you've got this lens of just like understanding and gratitude that like a fourth generation Canadian typically doesn't, right? I, I agree. It's, and and also I don't have the same experience as my parents did. Mm-hmm. So it is somewhat watered down. Yeah. Still. Right. right. There's there's both of those. But I but I can I can honestly say that there's at least an influence of both. Mm-hmm. So that much I have. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, we joke about first world problems yeah and it's not to say that i don't experience them and i don't bitch about them i do but i also then can check myself pretty quickly yeah which doesn't take the first world problem away mm-hmm. but it just puts it in perspective a little bit and offers a little bit of check and balance yeah and, and gives me perspective yeah. so i want to ask you about one more thing from your Please. conscientious and thoughtful perspective and mm-hmm. very calm demeanor yeah what are your thoughts on don cherry <laughs> so i thought that might come up <laughs> Uh, and, and, and I, I've, I've watched, I didn't watch it live, mm-hmm. but I watched the video mm-hmm. and the commentary that he made. I read, uh, I, I believe that he did not issue a public apology. Correct. Is that correct? In fact, he doubled down and said, I don't okay. think, I think fair he said enough. that today. He, he's fair not enough. apologizing. And then I read about the, the firing, mm-hmm. letting go. So let's go back in time. This is going to sound kind of politically correct, but let's go back in time. So I watched NHL hockey as a kid growing up with my dad. Yeah. That was one of my earliest childhood memories. I watched the Philadelphia Flyers versus the Edmonton Oilers in the 80s playing the Flyers. Oh, unreal. Like, it's the big deal to me. Yeah. Right? So I've watched Don Cherry. He's been in my household as much as many other households throughout the nation. Mm-hmm. So I'm just one example of a Canadian, but an immigrant family Canadian mm-hmm. who welcomed Don Cherry into our household right. and was influenced yeah. by Don Cherry in many positive ways. Mm-hmm. He's obviously a brash guy. He's obviously wears the floral outfits and he's got yeah. a loud personality. He's some kind of the Charles Barkley of the NHL, mm-hmm. you know, boisterous and outgoing. So 
a bit of an outlier. We accept that and we welcome that for mm -hmm. many, many years. Mm -hmm. This commentary recently was, I think if we look at human nature and the comments, mm -hmm. I think the phrase you people really bothered many. Of course. And me yeah. included. The, now let's put it in perspective. Wearing a poppy, I support. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging those that sacrificed and their families, I support. Mm -hmm. You know, my my great grandfathers were involved in the war mm -hmm. in the Indian military, and I have influence. I have some family history there. Mm -hmm. The India military and the Canadian military both were part of the British colonies, mm -hmm. so they're on the same side of the war. Um, so I do have some family connections. We've seen Jigmeet Singh post some stuff about his grandfather, and mm -hmm. there are some Chinese military officers and many other non-white I'll call it mm -hmm. ethnic influences that still fought in the war and we also have to acknowledge the other side mm -hmm. there were many non-Indians yeah. that also fought in the war there was both so part of the beauty of Canada is multiculturalism inclusiveness mm -hmm. a welcoming society I'm here because of that mm -hmm. my parents were welcomed into the nation because of that mm -hmm. now I asked my 11 year old daughter I told her about this and I said do you know what happened I shared the video I showed her and I asked her and she said, does John Cherry have First Nations background? Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer. I yeah. said, said Maria, I'm not sure. Now, maybe he does. And if he does, then he has the opportunity to say something. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't, he doesn't have the opportunity to kind of say it to anybody, right. including himself, mm -hmm. because he's not the First Nation anyway. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. She's absolutely. 11 years old. Yeah. And she thought this. That's interesting. So she, in 30 seconds, she came up with this. She's <laughs> wow. 11 years old. Mm -hmm. So I think we can take some stock in that kind of, you know, um, innocent mm -hmm. analysis. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the phrase, you people, if I said that phrase to anybody mm -hmm. in any context, it immediately creates a bit of an adversarial flavor of course, to the yeah. conversation. So that phrase bothers people yeah and regardless of this context or others that phrase bothers people um so going back i support the poppy i support acknowledging those i'm not suggesting like his i think his flavor and if i try to give him the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. i think the point he was trying to get across was hey everybody let's acknowledge those that have sacrificed yeah. and i totally get that yeah. i'm behind that yeah the phrase you people is adversarial that creates a bit of controversy mm -hmm. and has mm -hmm. created some major controversy and let's be real He's created a topic of conversation. We're talking about it. Yeah. And I talked about it with my 11-year-old yesterday because mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. So it has reminded us of where we stand. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a friction point, yes. There's a consequence to his actions, yes. Mm -hmm. There's also some reports that have come out now about CBC having tolerated many of his belligerent comments right. before. Yes. We all knew what right. he was. Yeah. Right? He's, so, if, if nothing else, he's authentic. True. Right. And then there's the, the whole flavor of freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Am I even allowed to say, oh, Don, you shouldn't have said that? Because mm -hmm. that's freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Maybe he should be allowed to say that. That's also fair. I support freedom of speech. Yeah. Right. Now, the, the part I have issue with is the phrase, you people, <laughs> because that automatically in any context <laughs> yeah. creates an adversarial nature. Yeah. So that part could have been better. Yeah. In hindsight, that could have been better. No, it is what it is. The flavor of, you know, we now we're assigning... We're trying to guess what did he mean? Right. Did he mean immigrants? Mm -hmm. Did he mean brown people, Chinese people, black people? Mm -hmm. What did he mean? Yeah. And it seems to be that he is pointing the finger at immigrants. Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, I don't support that. Right. That's adversarial. It isn't inclusive. There are immigrants who take advantage of the system. Mm -hmm. There are also a vast many of immigrants who don't take advantage and contribute to our society in a very meaningful manner. There's probably so, there's probably more European descended people who take advantage of the system. Numbers wise, I'm yeah. sure that's a bigger proportion. Well, and, and let's acknowledge my ignorance here. Yeah. I don't know the answer. Yeah. Statistically, I'm not sure. Right. But I'm just saying that as a public figure on a large platform, mm -hmm. invited into people's homes, we do hold you to a certain standard. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate that the phrase you people was used. Yeah. And if the intent was pointing it at immigrants, I think that's also yeah. not flavored well and isn't in the in the true culture of Canada. Right. So that part I don't support. Supporting the poppy for sure, mm -hmm. acknowledging those that have sacrificed, of course I support that. And then there's the secondary layer of now people on social media battling well Trudeau uh, had the black blackface. Face, yeah. How can we hold John Cherry to a higher level of accountability than our prime minister? It's, That's a whole other bag of worms. Crazy. And I'm not sure of the answer yeah. there. I think we need to hold our public figures in general to a high level of accountability. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like try to equate, you know, Trudeau and Cherry. They're different. It's not apples to apples. Yeah. So 
that's a different conversation. Yeah. yeah, I think it was it was certainly tone deaf, and you have to bend over backwards to to kind of follow the meaning that he was trying to imbue. Like, yeah. do I think he's a racist? I doubt it, but who's to say, right? But I think what he could have done in a more tactful way was illuminate the fact that anyone who doesn't support our military, which gave us the rights and freedoms that we all enjoy, should probably think twice about their about their perspective on it, whether they're immigrants or whether they're fifth generation Canadians, right? Yeah. Like it's it's you know, he was talking about a very and what I imagine is a very small subset of people who come and take advantage of of the system. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there's there's entitled people who've been here for generations who also do the same thing. Right. Right. So he, he probably could have just he probably didn't need to drill down so deep into the you well, people. It, it does right? it does seem like the initial part of the conversation mm-hmm. was about him wanting people to acknowledge those that sacrifice exactly by wearing a poppy. Yeah. And and I think, you know, certainly that's gonna the flavor and sentiment of that message mm-hmm. is much better received. Mm-hmm. And we're probably all gonna majority of us will stand behind that yeah. and kind of get on it. Right? Yeah. The, unfortunately, it led down a bit of a dirtier pathway and a negative pathway. Yeah, but, that, but that's done. I mean, like you could have seen that coming a mile away and if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. And, and on, With him, you think? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like he's always towed the line, right? right? On what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And, mm-hmm. and we be, we're becoming so, like if he would have said this 10 years ago, probably not an issue. Mm-hmm. Five, maybe borderline right. issue, right? But you have to change with society, or at least yeah. you have to understand and, and be aware of how society is changing sure. enough to see that, like, look, you can't, you can't say inflammatory things towards. Firstly, like, like group identity is a terrible thing. Everyone's an individual, and everyone's different, right? Yeah. So you know, you, you can't broad broad stroke, broad brush people like yeah. that. But interesting to hear your perspective. I knew you'd mm-hmm. have a, a thoughtful and 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 very um, a conscientious look at that. Well, the nice the nice. If we take some silver linings out of that, mm-hmm. the silver lining, at least for my family, is it brought up a conversation at home yesterday. For sure. Yeah. And there was some vulnerability expressed. My, my mother-in-law is staying with us right now. She's mm-hmm. visiting from BC. So grandma got to offer grandma's era yeah. and what were her experiences, right. positive and negative, as a woman of color, not just a, a person of color, but a woman of color, mm-hmm. trying to, again, go through establishing herself in Canada and the journey attached to that. So mm-hmm. she got to share that with her grandkids. Yeah. And that was prompted by this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Silver so, lining. So there are some silver linings. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it probably sparked some initial conversation with my children about what they might experience mm-hmm. and how they should behave. And, and, you know, are they, how do they behave? And it mm-hmm. goes back to your question about how, what kind of humans do they want to be? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and people are going to treat you the way you allow them to treat you. That's right? exactly what my seven-year-old said. Wow. The golden rule, right? So he, he you got he, genius kids. He said man. it, and he, he, I said to him, like, "What do you think we should do? How mm-hmm. do you think this? Do you think this consequence is fair?" I asked him. Mm-hmm. With Don Cherry being fired, do you think that's appropriate? He's like, "Daddy, I don't know, but I think we should treat people the way that we want to be treated." Yeah. And so he he just you know reiterated the golden rule. Yeah. But it's a good reminder. It's an innocent human, fairly innocent sharing what we probably as adults can hear again. Yeah. It never hurts to hear it again. Absolutely. So I, I valued that. And you said it again. So it's <laughs> twice in like 12 hours. Well, Raj, I appreciate this. This has been fun, man. Thank yeah. you. And, Thank uh, you very much. You know, I'm glad to have met you and a uh, big supporter of what you do. So uh, awesome. if there's any like websites or social media that you want to throw people to to check out you or your stuff, mm-hmm. how about her? The clinical website is www.pivotalphysio.com. Mm-hmm. Pivotal is spelled P-I-V-O-T-A-L. It often gets misspelled. Yeah. So pivotalphysio.com. And then the Instagram page is the same, Pivotal Physio. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Result. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thank well. you. See ya. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show. And huge thanks to Raj for taking the time to sit down and share his unique perspectives with all of us. That's it for me, and I'll leave you with one last message from this episode's sponsor, the Alberta Forest Products Association. See ya! Alberta loves its forests and its shows. In the last 20 years alone, Alberta's forest industry planted and nurtured 2 billion trees. Strategic harvesting is helping slow the spread of the mountain pine beetle. Take that, you scourge of infestation! Oh, and Alberta's forest industry creates enough green energy to power four cities the size of Grand Prairie. If that doesn't power your heart in the process, chances are you need to learn more about your relationship with Alberta's forests. Go to loveabforests.com.